0: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Kalahari Diaries. Uh, I just realized it's actually about a year since I've done the last episode, so that's slightly embarrassing considering my uh, planned monthly <laughs> schedule for this. But things have just been insanely busy for all kinds of reasons. It never ends. And the podcast, unfortunately, was just not main priority. But at the same time, during this year, our following on social media has increased Insanely, like I think, from like a few tens of thousands, it's gone to between Serga's and my profile. I think to about a probably close to a million followers on Instagram, and we got lots on TikTok. And obviously, there's lots of questions coming now with all these people following this, and it's been amazing. By the way, I mean I can't believe so many people are following this story, but we're getting so many questions, and every post we do, it's kind of the same questions. And obviously, a lot of this is about Serga, but everybody wants to know. Is she actually captive or why is she captive? Because people see that the door opening in the hug, so they see fences and an enclosure. And then there's people who are aware of the fact that she's got a big area, but then they believe that's just a big enclosure. And yeah, I just wanted to do a podcast about all of that with Serga, actually mainly about the territory that she has, the area that she actually utilizes. Is she free? Is she not free? This whole question I'll just try and explain everything as good as I can and then you can make up your own mind about whether you think Siga is a free lioness or not. And I think you'll find that there's no straight answer to that in any case. Siga's area is 2,000 hectares large. That's around 5,000 acres. It's 4 by 5 kilometers. It's 20 square kilometers. It's, it really is a large, large area. And When I was new in Africa, I've got to admit that I had a pretty hard time just grasping the concept of these massive spaces because coming from Germany, I simply wasn't used to this. I mean, if somebody says this is an area that we have, you know, you cannot imagine these kilometers by kilometers. I mean, I used to walk my dog in the woods outside our house, and that was, for me, the nature we have. And there was, you know, all kinds of animals there, wild boars, deer, foxes, things like that. Back then, there wasn't any wolves in Germany Yet they've come back slowly. I don't even know if they're in my home area. I don't I doubt it. I don't think they're that far south in Germany yet. But in any case, it was proper nature. I I just loved it. That was where I went walking for hours with the dog in that area. And sometimes on like the rare occasion I would do like a long walk and end up in the neighboring village. And for me that was like, oh god, I crossed all of this foresty area and I'm in this this next place now. And looking back now, that was just a short distance compared to the area that I have now just for myself and for Silvia here. So all of that nature that I used to walk in, that was smaller than the place that we have it privately here for wildlife. And it's just incredible. And although there are fences around it, one must remember that similarly that any wild area, unfortunately today is somewhat not fenced off, but it's got boundaries, say that as villages, big highways could be in the coast, an ocean or something like that, but it's it's usually confined, and in most cases it's confined because of people and what people build up, farming areas and, and all kinds of things. And sometimes here in Africa, I think it's a little bit difficult to understand because if we would take a satellite image or fly over this, besides the fact that we have a fence line around Serga's area, you wouldn't see any big difference to any of the stuff on the outside. But the big difference is the legal land use for these areas, So on two of our sides, we're we're bordering other private lands which are not actually utilized at all, but they belong to somebody, so we couldn't just go and start doing something with this land. That would be highly illegal, like you can't just take over your neighbor's property either. And then to the other side, we're bordering a massive wildlife area, which is government-controlled, but we'll get back to that a little bit later on. And then to the other side, which is sort of to the west-southwest, that area is what's called communal grazing lands. And although there's rarely ever any people there, that area can be used by the local communities to graze their livestock. And especially during the rainy season, that is the case. So I can't just have Serga walk around there because number one, she's fairly used to people. Number two, even the wild lions that are not used to people are constantly under threat in those areas because if they show up there, they can be killed legally because often even the the wildlife department, people just don't know where to put them and they end up killing sheep or goats or cattle. Or they actually kill people. That's rare, but that happens too. And these lions, they are then considered a problem animal and they get put down, just like it happens even in Germany with a few wolves that have come back to that area. And on occasion, they get shot because they've been killing livestock. So any of those areas is not suitable for surga. So instead of like at my old home, that there's a village on either side and in a city or lake or whatever, and this piece of forest is sort of bound by these human developments around it. This area here is similarly bound. Suga couldn't go anywhere else without being under threat, and we've simply put a fence there so that she can't get into the outside where she's not supposed to be, but also that the livestock and people just can't get in that easily. Although, of course, everybody could cut the fence and climb through, but it's not like people want to do that, but how else would they know if there's just no demarcation of that area? And livestock specifically now, they don't go through the fence. So that's a boundary that everybody now sort of accepts, and that's why there's a fence around it. I would just like to begin this whole thing with a few figures, so maybe, at least for me, that sort of helps to get an idea of how large the area actually is. And if we're looking at Europe, we can take the city of Geneva. That's 16 square kilometers. And Serga's area, just remember, that's 20 square kilometers. So quite a lot bigger than the city of Geneva. And the city of Geneva, according to what I can find on the internet, has around 200,000 people. They all live there. They consider themselves free human beings on that space. Now, given the fact that Surga's area is four square kilometers larger than the city of Geneva, there would be even more people, but let's just say 200,000 humans would occupy that space if it's a, a city in Europe. And if we're looking at uh, an area in Berlin called Neukölln, which is a fairly densely populated part of Berlin, that's only 12 square kilometers large and it's got 155,000 people. So we're looking at similar densities to the Geneva area if we're looking at the city of New York in America, at 20 square kilometers, which is Syrga's area, we would be looking at 225,000 human beings, roughly, that live there. So, if we just, I mean, try and get that concept into our mind that Syrga's space is something that otherwise, like around 200,000 people consider their free space, maybe that gives us an idea of, you know, how large that area actually is. And then, If we want to look at the overall average in the United States we have about 36 people per square kilometer circus area at 20 square kilometers, that still makes 720 people on that space if we would take the overall average including all the open land mass which is still plenty in America In the EU, 34 people per square kilometer very similar figures, we'd be looking at close to 700 people that would occupy circus space. If we're looking at China 153 people per square kilometer, that's 3,060 people that would occupy Serga's area if we just take the overall average. And even in Botswana, which is one of the least populated countries on earth, we have four people per square kilometer, that would still be 80 human beings that would occupy Serga's 20 square kilometers. And just so that everybody understands, Serga's 20 square kilometers really is just for her. We actually have 70 square kilometers here of Kalahari, which we keep pristine and wild, just full of wildlife. But we have my home, which is also our sort of base, the office, the workshop. Then we have a staff village, which is a small 50 by 50 meter fenced plot where they have accommodation, ablutions and so on. And then we have our little guest camp, the Mudisa camp. But All these developments are outside Serga's area because of obvious reasons. Serga walking around the guest camp or breaking into the staff village wouldn't be a great idea. So Serga is completely free and has that area entirely to herself with no human beings on it. And then even the remaining 50 square kilometers that we have here are just occupied by myself and at the moment five staff members. So it's very, very low density if we're considering the amount of people that even on one of the lowest densities on earth would on average occupy these areas. I don't know if that makes sense to everybody or if if that gives you an idea but it really to me makes it fairly clear that it's definitely not just a fenced enclosure that Serge's walking around in. It's a massive piece of land which is full of wildlife which has been there prior to us and now we've provided water after we started fencing it and that has even increased the wildlife in the area a lot so yeah, it's just a big chunk of Africa, and it would be like a reserve. In, in on any other scale, it is a reserve that Serga has for herself, and that we've provided for her. And the boundaries are there for the reasons mentioned previously. So, if it comes to the question of freedom, to me, that's always a bit hard. What's freedom for an animal? Like, if we're looking at the wild lion population, which is suffering quite badly, and that's something we'll get to just in a little bit again, but. Is it really free for an animal to be constantly under threat, under threat of possible extinction in the next decades? Is that freedom like you're being chased to death, literally speaking, and the areas that you are occupying are decreasing at such a drastic rate that's absolutely scary? Or is freedom something where you say, okay, there's a certain boundary, you can't go further? And I mean, we've created that everywhere else for wildlife. You know, the city of New York, the city of Berlin, that's not wasn't always there. It used to be space occupied by wildlife, bears, wolves and so on. And a lot of beautiful vegetation and a baseline for an ecosystem. And we've turned it into a concrete jungle. And obviously animals can't get there. But we just we then don't call the nature outside of this somewhere uh, an enclosure just because we've put these boundaries in, in place. But animals are now not able to go into the space anymore. So in our case, sugar and the other wildlife in the area can't just venture out. But for obvious reasons, and are they more free, or more calm, or more happy, because they're not being chased, they're not being poached, they're not losing that habitat, that we've now created, that is there, and we're maintaining it, and we make sure that, that it exists, and that nothing happens to it, that no livestock start eating the vegetation, no people will start building up these spaces, nobody will start removing all the native vegetation, and start creating plowing fields to, to, you know, to plant crop, so, all these kind of things are making it a bit hard for me to think, like, is it more free if you're being chased to death by human encroachment? Or are you more free if, say, there's a certain boundary? You've got to respect that, okay, you can't cross, but at least inside that area, it's peaceful, it's safe. A little bit hard sometimes, but I think in Suga's case, and given the circumstances, she definitely prefers her safety and I think most animals would, quite frankly. that doesn't even use most of her area a lot of the time. But again, we'll get to that in just a little bit. First, let's talk about two things that happen when lions are utilizing space. There's something called a home range, and then there's something called a territory. And I find the easiest to make clear what that means is that a territory is really an area that these predators would protect with very aggressive behavior, It is much, much smaller than the home range. It could just be a nest for birds, for example. They say that's their territory. Nothing can get near the nest. That's where they, you know, lay their eggs. That's where they raise their chicks. And for lions, that area is obviously not just a nest, but it doesn't have to be very large. That's just where the pride of lion stays, maybe where they're resting, and they won't accept anybody else in that space, specifically not the same species of animal. But they will also defend it against other predators, hyenas, leopards, and so on. And then they have a home range, which is a much larger area. And if we compare that to us, I would say that like our house with our garden, or maybe not everybody has the garden, but let's just call it our apartment. That's our territory. We don't want anybody to get in. If you're in certain areas of the world, you might even have a gun to if your head if you walk into somebody else's house without permission or even their garden. So that's our territory. We defend that very aggressively. Whereas the city we live in, or the village, or whatever area is surrounding us, that's an area that we utilize on a regular basis. We go shopping, we drive our car, we go out into the clubs, but here we don't put a gun to everybody else's just because we don't know them. That's an area we share with others, even if they're the same species, and similarly a home range of lions can be shared by many. That's hunting grounds for different prides of lions. There might be water sources that everybody needs to utilize, but that's a home range and a home range starts at 20 square kilometers. Let's just quickly remember that that is the area that SIRGA has now for herself. But it also goes up to 4,500 square kilometers. So this is for a pride of lines, 20 to 4,500. So I guess we can safely assume that it varies a hell of a lot. Not hard to put an average onto any of these figures. But the reason why I wanted Serga's area to be 20 square kilometers is because that is scientifically where the home range for lions actually start. Even though that's on the smaller end, I think that makes sense because Serga's only one lioness at the moment. Every once in a while, wild lions come and join the area, but it's her home range. And for one lioness, that is quite a proper area and something that lions naturally would not leave. You know, that area could be, again, confined by human developments. It could just be confined because there's other lion prides around. And a home range, by the way, is an area that these animals will defend in a way, but not mm, like nowhere near as aggressive as they would be about their territory. And in Suga's case, her territory is very clearly her enclosure. And that is only one hectare. It's about the size of a soccer field. And that is adjacent to her 20 square kilometers, which is 2,000 hectares. And that one-hectare area is something that Suga really defends aggressively. Like, nobody can get near her enclosure. Any jackal that goes in there gets killed. She's very aggressive over that, whereas on the outside, she's much different. That's her home range, and she accepts other animals very differently, besides the one that she's eating, obviously. So, that's the difference between home range territory. Suga's territory is very clearly her enclosure and the area surrounding it. And she utilizes that the most, by far the most time she spends. I would actually say about 80% of the time that she's free to go. She's at home voluntarily because that's her territory. That's where she's resting. We know that lions sleep a hell of a lot if she's had enough to eat. She doesn't really want to go out much. Then she goes hunting. She spends about a week with a kill. And then she comes back home. And lately, Serga has been providing for herself for about a month at a time without me having to feed her. And part of Serga's territory where she gets a little special treatment compared to other lions is that if she comes home and sits here in the evening at a fence, I do give her a piece of meat. And that's simply because I don't want her to be forced to hunt. Hunting can be quite tough. It can be dangerous. If she gets too hungry, she'd be desperate for food. And I would never want Serga, you know, having to go hunting because she's so hungry. And then maybe she gets killed by, for example, an oryx antelope, which is extremely dangerous. So if Soga wants to hunt, she does that and she has her own food. And sometimes, like I said, now it's first time a whole month. We didn't really have to feed her at all. But then she's back home and she enjoys the time here and she gets small pieces of meat. And if she feels like it, she'll go out and, and kill stuff again for herself. And I think that's a luxury that she has. She's quite a pampered, spoiled lioness. And I like it that way. And it's obviously something she wants. Otherwise, she wouldn't be home asking for it. So I think another thing that's important to look at is why are these home range sizes so different? Why does it go from 20 square kilometers to 4,500 square kilometers for a pride of lions? And the main thing for that is simply the density of prey and how many other lions are in that area. So if there's a lot of prides of lions, they will fight a lot more over the space available, which will make the home ranges and the territories quite a lot smaller because there's just less available for everybody and they will have a lot more fighting going on, which might mean... You know, smaller prides of lions and smaller territories and home ranges. Whereas, if we have a massive area with only one pride of lions and maybe very little food that's walking around that area, you know, very little antelope, that would mean that that one pride of lions has to travel massive distances in order to get to their food. And at the same time, it would also mean that maybe there's not so many other lions around and they're simply not fighting and they're not walking into somebody else's territory, so they simply travel further. And that can really make this drastic difference. And because here we provide water for surga's animals, there's plenty in that area. Actually, we have to control it by hunting a certain amount off to help surga maintain the population. Despite the leopards and cheetahs and hyenas and everything else being there and sometimes lions, the antelope actually increasing so much that they become too much for the area that's available. And surga simply can't keep up at all with the hunting. So again that shows that it could actually hold quite a lot more predators this area and maybe we'll get there in the future who knows overall i think if we're looking at freedom of animals and do they really live wild there what's important to me is that the ecosystem there actually works and this obviously starts by the geographical location where are we you know what's our altitude what kind of vegetation grows in that area you know that's often determined by the underlying geology which is sort of just a given that's there in the location that you're at and the clim- climatic conditions that we have, and the vegetation that results of it gives you the herbivores that naturally occur in these areas. And obviously, when the Kalahari in Africa, so we get all the desert antelope that live here. And these animals come in all kinds of shapes. We have small antelope like stinbok, they're really just looking like a baby deer, and they don't get bigger than that. Then we have massive antelope like an eland bull, for example, which can weigh up to close to a ton. So there's all kinds of different antelope running around, and that requires all kinds of different predators that are somewhat maintaining their populations. And that's what's happening. And often because of what people have done on this earth, this balance is a bit out of whack. So we have to sometimes help it a bit. And sometimes it could be a predator. That's actually the problem, being busy killing all its own food. But usually that means when that food becomes less than The predators will also decline in numbers. But if we're looking at our area, quite frankly, this is a bit off subject. But we used to have about five to 600 springbok, which is like a medium-sized, or relatively small antelope species. Very beautiful, amazing animals. And the cheetah population in our area has completely diminished them. There's maybe 50 left now, which means very few cheetahs. But the thing is, the cheetahs are still here and they're busy killing the last ones. And that's their main prey. So... Another year down the line, we might not have any springbok left, which means the cheetahs will have next to nothing to eat, or only when other antelope are busy having their their young or something like that, that's something they can kill easily. But that's always not enough. They need to eat all the time. So we might have to actually you know fence a certain area to try and breed springbok intentionally where they can you know reproduce nicely. And where the cheetahs can't get to them so that we can annually release more of them and things like that. So sometimes the management becomes necessary because otherwise we've simply lost this area as cheetah habitat simply because the cheetahs caused that damage themselves. And quite obviously, I I wouldn't want to go around controlling the cheetah population anyway. That's kind of what we're here for. And we can find ways to make this work for everybody to still be free, still be happy without that happening. And then on the other end, some of the antelope become far too many because, for example, the lions here haven't killed enough. So the large antelope like the eland and the wildebeest and the, the oryx antelope are simply becoming too many. So we got to hunt those and we don't want to just waste the meat. So we utilize it for us. We use it to feed sugar and all the excess we sell to the local butcheries, trees, which makes a fantastic sustainable product. So I guess overall, and also if any of you have listened to my previous podcast from <laughs> like a few years ago, um, you would have heard about all the management of these areas. And if you're more keen on that, you can go back to those podcasts and listen to the episodes about that. Uh, I've, I've talked about that in quite a lot of detail. But I think it's hopefully becoming more and more clear why there's boundaries on Sergas area, but that it's still, at least to me, is quite a, a free space for her where she can really live like a lion should given the circumstances that Suga grew up in. And she can live out all her behavior about territory. She recently actually had lions come into her area, and I was sort of hoping that maybe, you know, they'll be friendly, the lions will stay. But Suga just kept on fighting, and initially the lions stayed outside her area, and Suga's one hectare enclosure is just here next to my home. So if she chooses to be there, she can actually almost see me when I'm walking around here. And... The wild lions were on on that side, on my side, most of the time, and I could observe them at night along the fences, and Serga would just charge at them every time they would come near the fence, and I never knew what was going to happen when they meet directly without the fence, but one night, the lions actually dug into Serga's large area, and all I could hear was the fighting at around 3 a.m. in the morning. It was a hell of a noise. When lions fight, it's noisy, and I mean, it was right here, and... Of course, I had a fright of a lifetime because I thought those lions are killing Serga And I was a bit surprised. I didn't think they would fight like that. That was the first time for her actually meeting other lions. So I ran outside, had a look at them. It was pretty scary because I actually went there. I saw some lions run away and I saw eyes. You know, it was all dark and I just shined with a flashlight. I saw a pair of eyes inside the one hectare enclosure. So I I was sure, okay, good, Serga is inside. I closed the door. I saw the other lions I took the vehicle and chased them a bit so that they get away, but it was only two, and I knew that there was three lions around. So I was a bit concerned about number three. I thought maybe Serga actually hurt that lion, and it's lying somewhere. So I went back because I wanted to check and make sure Serga's okay. I opened the door, I went inside. and because it's dark, I was very careful. I was shining around, you know for all kinds of reasons. number one, it's now in the middle of the night. And number two, I have never been around Serga when she had a fight with other lions and yeah so I had a good look I saw the eyes again and then that line got up and I was still there just by the door and I could see it's not surga the wrong bloody line was inside the one hectare area and at this stage I didn't know whether Serga is also inside there or what's going on but obviously I was pretty happy that I didn't just run to this animal and try to greet it because I could see the eyes there that could have gone terribly wrong but I went outside again obviously now I left the door open I called We had some people visiting here, I called the people, I called the staff, I woke everybody up and I said, everybody, get ready now, I'm coming to fetch you quickly, I want all the flashlights and everything that we have here. And we rushed back to to the enclosure and what happened was that Serga was now up in a tree inside her area, the small area, the one hectare, and two lionesses had both come inside and tried to fight her, or they were fighting her, and Serga was up in the tree, both of them underneath it. And when we approached with the car on the other side of the fence, Serga was clever enough to jump out of the tree, run to the car. She had a lot of scratches. It looked pretty scary in that moment. It turned out later she was actually fine. It was nothing nothing serious. But yeah, so those lionesses really tried to kill her. And Serga was smart because she'd come to the vehicle and the lionesses still tried to charge at her. But when I would clap and shout a bit, they would back off a little. And Serga would stay near the car on the other side of the fence. And that sort of helped for a while. And luckily, there was a male lion around which stayed outside. He never came in. And he, he kept calling near the entrance where the females went into Sergei's area. And eventually, after about an hour, those lionesses went outside. I used the car, chased him a little bit further away. Then obviously, I went to make sure Serga's all right. And she was on antibiotics for a while. And we kept her inside for a bit until everything was healed. But that just gives you an idea of this territorial behavior. And as cruel as this all sounds, it's quite normal for animals to fight over territory. And it's quite important. If we're looking at simple examples like cats, we all know our domestic cats and we love them. And I used to have plenty of them in Europe. And honestly, I never really understood why there's such a big difference between wild cats in the forest. We have them in Germany, very rare, but we get them. We have the African wildcat, which, which is kind of the ancestor for our domestic cats today. And I never really got the difference because people would always say, and I would read articles, that it's so terrible that the domestic cats are destroying all the bird life. And in certain areas, we get regulations about how many cats we can have and, and if the cats are allowed to be outside and things like that. And they are destroying the, the native bird life, the local bird life in many areas. And... Um, so that's terrible, but I never really got the point because cats. I thought, well, they're also in the forest; they're, they're they're native, they're in these areas. So why isn't why isn't it happening in the forest? And it took me a while to learn and understand that the territorial behavior that, for example, a wild cat exhibits, or a lion or a leopard, that's a very integral part of what they're supposed to do in the ecosystem. And with a African wildcat, for example, that the really wild species that lives outside here in nature, they're very solitary. There's just one cat in one area, and they'll meet up with a male for mating purposes, then they will raise a litter, they'll have a few you know, young ones, and when those ones are grown, they will have to go and find their own territory. It's very similar with uh, leopards, it's very similar with, with many other predators. They're fairly solitary animals because... There wouldn't, there wouldn't be enough prey if they would make a big family and all hang out together. It would be a big problem to find enough birds. And it, it, there wouldn't be a point, you know, in killing all the birds and then the cats can't live there anymore. A little bit like what our cheetahs have done here. And cheetahs and lions and wild dogs and spotted hyenas are a few species, just to mention them, who, who have a different behavior. They live in groups. And lions have specialized in killing big stuff. But in the Kalahari, where the prey density is often not that large that groups can be very small. Sometimes lions are actually solitary and living like that, a little bit like what Serga is doing. So the point is the behavior of how these animals defend the territory is quite important. And with a wild cat, that's a fantastic example. So now if we have our domestic cat population, which is now far removed from the way an African wild cat behaves, although they pretty much look the same, at least some of them. So your domestic cat might now start mixing up with the wild cat population. And although these cats will look identical to, to a wild cat, there's no problem. But the problem is that the territorial behavior of these cats will change. All of a sudden, they won't have this instinct to say, hey, this is my area, I'm going to fight everybody. And when I have young ones, they're going to have to go and I will defend this territory as much as I can. It's not like that. It's going to be all of a sudden big families of cats all hanging out together, and obviously that works in our apartment, and we love the fact that we can have several of them and that they're social and they like each other, And but we feed them, we buy food, so that's not, a, not really a problem. The problem is then they go outside and they cause damage, and there's just far too many of them. And naturally, with the wild species, that simply wouldn't be the case. So these territorial fights that the lions are having, they're there for a reason, that's not something unnatural. And these lions obviously had decided to come in here, and quite frankly, from... Observing everything I've seen, I don't think it was the wild lions that really started the fight. I think it was Serge that picked the fight because she's defending her territory and her home range, and she simply didn't want them there because that's what I could see happening from you know nearby here here by us. And yeah, got to give her that right if she doesn't want the lions here, it's her, it's her home and let it be like that. Maybe she just doesn't want to share. So from everything that I can observe with Suga wearing the color, you know, where we get GPS data from all her excursions outside and everything she's doing. Although the numbers obviously on the, you know, starting low end, starting end for line home range and territory, she has that space and she's not even using all of it. So obviously she has enough space and she has created her territory. She has sort of defined the home range because she does use the area in a certain way to mark her territory or home range. She walks around there, she roars a little bit, but she only roars close to home. That's also a territorial thing. And that's new. In the beginning, she would only roar inside the enclosure. And when she was out, she was that silent. Now she starts roaring like a few hundred meters away, but still not, not too far. And she started creating a bit of a territorial behavior pattern around the water point that's outside in the 2000 hectare area. She spends a lot of time there. Smart thing to do, obviously. All the animals come to drink there, so she doesn't have to go walk too far to find them. But So she's exhibiting all the normal behavior patterns of a wild lion. She has a territory, she has a home range, and she's utilizing it just like wild lions would, respectively. So given the fact that she has the, you know, size-wise, the numbers that wild lions or even a family of them would use, I think that's a pretty free space. And Suga is obviously sharing that space with all the other wild animals that are there. There are cheetahs inside, there are leopards inside, and they're just there naturally. And a lot of the other predators are not really respecting the fences very much because they're used to digging under fences and just going in and out of all kinds of farming areas. And because Surga is used to fences, that's her area, and she doesn't go out. She doesn't even touch the fence. So it's not a problem. And the other animals are in and out. But there's always leopards there. There's always cheetahs there. There's always some brown hyenas around, sometimes the spotted hyenas, sometimes the other lions. And one of serga's biggest hobbies lately, actually, is to put a leopard up in a tree. So she, she obviously finds them. They have a little argument. And she chases the leopard into a tree. And she can spend days sitting underneath that tree and simply keeping the leopard hostage. So the poor thing can't get, get down and what usually happens is that I'm seeing this on the GPS data that, that we get from the, her collar. So I noticed that Serga is somewhere at a bush, pretty stationary. And then usually I assume that she's made a kill again. So I will take the vehicle. I will go to that location and just find out. And what happens normally when I get there is that Serga leaves the tree. She comes running to say hello to me. And then the leopard will use that chance to run out of the tree. And usually she then runs after leopard, goes for another chase. Leopard goes up the next tree. But that's become, uh, yeah, quite one of the favorite things to do. And I feel a bit sorry for the leopards. But I'm sure it's a natural thing. It must be happening outside all the time. And luckily the leopards can climb so well. So it doesn't really get to them. So it's a bit of a game they play. And usually I'm quite happy when I can get there and just sort of make sure that at least the leopard gets a chance to get away so can say hi to me. And usually after that, Suga will follow me home, get some food, because she would have spent days not eating anything, just uh, making sure that leopard does not leave his tree. So on this whole side, again, about freedom and things like that, I would just like to mention a few numbers relating to wild lions and what's really going on, on with them. So is it really free and safe for lions to be out in what we consider nature right now? and to be honest most areas in southern africa are now fairly smaller confined spaces that are often privately managed or government managed small national parks game reserve private wildlife areas but all of them often even i have electric fences around it the wildlife shouldn't get in or out because outside we have villages cities and things like that and in germany we can just have a beautiful full forest next to us and even though the wild boars might cause damage in a lot of the fields and agriculture that we have around, but it's not the biggest problem and specifically it's not a big threat to humans. Now in Africa, this can be a bit different. We've got all kinds of things, all the large cats, lions, leopards, then we have hyenas. Cheetahs are not dangerous, but they still scare people sometimes. And then we have other animals like elephants, rhinos, hippos, crocodiles, all kinds of stuff. And if you're living somewhere and you want to have a normal human you know decent civilized lifestyle that, that doesn't work if an elephant walks through your garden and rips out the pipes in your bathroom and stuff like that so you know I can understand why these boundaries need to be a bit more defined in Africa and the animals can't just venture off into the next village and it's usually not even human life that's the biggest issue because that's relatively rare that that's the problem but the you know predation on livestock which is sometimes for the poorer communities their entire livelihood that can really be a problem So if we're looking at what's been happening to wild lion populations, in the last century, about 90% of them have disappeared on the African continent. And we're looking at numbers that have dropped from around an estimated 200,000 animals about 70, 80 years ago to about 20,000 or less than that left today in the wild in Africa. And they have become locally extinct in 26 countries on the African continent At the moment, lions are listed by the IUCN as vulnerable. The next step then would be endangered, critically endangered, and after that extinct. And if things continue just a little bit, I mean, if we're looking at the numbers 200,000 to 20,000 in in just like around 100 years, we don't really have many years left where there might not be any lions left in the wild. They only occupy 8% of their historical range from about 100 years ago. I think that's a pretty shocking number. And... If we're looking at these numbers, they're pretty much fit. I mean, 92% of the range that they used to occupy is gone, and about 90% of the lions are gone. I mean, that, that's just something that, that seems to relate, and it's logic. And that's also why we can't just say, oh, we're going to breed lions, we're going to take all kinds of lions, we're going to take all the lions from the zoos, we're going to take all the lions from, you know, places where they've been mistreated or where they shouldn't be or horrible captive scenarios, and we're just going to release them in Africa. Because that range, that space where they used to be simply isn't there anymore. It's occupied by other stuff and there isn't anywhere to put them. Same way we can't just put a bunch of grizzlies back into New York. not even sure if they ever lived there or wolves, stuff like that. Um, So that's a very similar scenario in Africa and we just have that 8% of space left. So the wild that we all think of or imagine sometimes and which is exactly what i had in mind before i came to africa is that oh yeah africa that's where lions come from we should just take all the lions and put them back there it just doesn't exist we have to come here or we have to help create that space again and i know that in europe i'm sure also in america and many of the developed nations we are working on re-naturalization programs and restoration programs where nature is actually bouncing back in many areas because i mean obviously we have understood the value of the natural ecosystem long ago and we know that it's it's very important to to keep these areas around but if we're looking at third world countries developing nations here in botswana for example or generally southern africa it's actually still the other way around everything is being developed things are growing rapidly but not in the direction of we have to save more nature and at the moment it's all kinds of forms of tourism and things like that, that keep a lot of these natural areas around. And Botswana is amazing because of the space that still is available for its wildlife. But because the areas here are so big, we don't really have these fenced scenarios that I described earlier, where the animals are relatively safe, they're kept, they're managed, and that's an area where they are. We have massive areas the size of countries in Europe, and the wildlife roams pretty much freely around So here a lion can walk into any of the villages, even the city if it wanted to, and that creates a lot of conflict, that creates a lot of shooting and killing of these animals. Then we have, on top of the killing of problem animals, we have poaching for personal gain. Um, Lion bones and skins and stuff like that are worth quite a lot of money on the black market. So there's all kinds of issues coming together, and we're really sitting in in a very wild space like this, specifically where we're based now, we're very close to this issue. And again, that's why I'm very happy that Serga has a fence around the area and she is safe and somewhat free inside that where we can look after her and she's not under this threat that we've just explained of this lion population plummeting to soon near extinction if it continues in the direction it's going. I do honestly believe that at the moment we're probably on a you know, level where slowly things are hopefully turning around, people are realizing the value more and more and maybe... Over the next decades, we're actually going to see an increase in line numbers and hopefully an increase from that 8% of the historical range back to a little bit more than that. So, then there's somewhat of a last subject that is a bit important, and that's about why doesn't Circa have another line? Why don't we just get a mail? You know, people tend to think that you can just trade lines over the counter like a dog or a cat in, in certain areas, and in, in some places you can. But even though, for example, in South Africa, that's legal, in Botswana, it's not. And I'm quite proud of the fact that Botswana manages their wildlife like that. Not just quite, I'm very proud of it. I do not think that this captive breeding industry has any good reason from a conservation point of view to say we're breeding lions, we're making more of them, or we're going to release them all in Africa because of what I've just explained. And I would never want to be part of any of that, even if I could go buy a lion. It's just something that I'm not... Going to support, and I want nothing to do with it. Serga came out of this problem animal scenario here in the Kalahari. She wasn't, you know, raised by mom. I took her over. I'm committed to really looking after her for her entire life. And I think, given the circumstances, we've given her everything that that I can. But I really wouldn't just go and purchase a lion just so that she has a friend. And then, given what happened. Last time with the other lions, I might not even, you know, be sure if that's going to work. Maybe she doesn't like the guy. So should there ever be a moment where, you know, there is a lion around that needs help, you know, maybe it's injured or it's young or too old and, or it's it's going to get shot and we're there to maybe help it. Yes, I would try to introduce it to Suga's area, but there's a lot of complications and issues and like one of them is just Suga. Maybe she doesn't want the guy or the girl there. So we don't know if that's going to happen. It's just something that, I, but I'm not going to force it. I'm definitely not going to try and support a very unethical and questionable industry with, that has to do with breeding these animals. And at the moment, she has that irregular interaction with lions, the proper encounter now with, with these, these animals that actually started fighting her or she started fighting them. And what I find interesting is that at the old place where Silga came from, the, the facility where she was born and where her mother didn't look after her was more oh, within about one and a half kilometers of us. So those lions were rowing to, you know, to Serga and she was rowing back all the time. And then I used to walk Serga in that area in the past every day because she didn't have a space like she has now and I wanted her to, to be outside and to experience Africa like a, a wild lion and not sit in her enclosure. And in, I don't know, what was it, about six years that we were there. Sirga never went to these other lines. Although the, we went past that facility where she could have just gone up to the fences within maybe just a, you know, a few hundred meters. And I remember the only time it got really close, and I was a bit worried because there was close to 30 lines in these in these enclosures, which were big, beautiful enclosures, but still enclosures. And Sirga, yeah, she always could have just gone there. And she chased a herd of eland antelope right towards that area. And the airfield was just next to it. And the elands went across the airfield and the only time I've ever seen serga at that age stop chasing was when that happened. And I think it's because maybe for the first time she saw those other lions or she smelled them. She stopped chasing the Elans. She turned around. She came to me and we went home. So she never really expressed the want or the need or anything to go and meet these animals, which are her own relatives and same thing now that's happening here. I, I don't think serge really wants other lions around, so I'm definitely not going to force that on her. But will she have a boyfriend one day? Maybe. I think after everything I, I've explained, it's probably quite clear why I would not want her to have cubs. So Serga is on the pill, basically. It's a hormone treatment that you only have to inject it every but roughly two and a half to three years. And at the moment, she might be on the last course of that. I don't know um, how long lions are actually fertile for, but We're going to find out if Serga starts coming on heat in like two years' time, then we're going to renew the implant. And if she has a boyfriend specifically, we'll make sure because we don't want to create more lions in this already sad scenario where there is no habitat for them to go. But at the same time, we want to make sure that Serga, because we took responsibility for her, has a great life. Okay, but getting back to the start of this whole thing, does Serga live in an enclosure? Is she a free lion? Look, uh, I guess it's all up to you. You can make up your own mind after this about it. Um, Let me know in the comments or anywhere else what what you think about the scenario. Nice to know what other people think about Serga's situation, actually. And to me, it's definitely not an enclosure. There's no way that we can call that area that she shares with all these other predators with hundreds of of antelope inside that that's an enclosure. To me, she has a, a whole reserve, which is what it is. And for obvious reasons, there is a boundary, and a boundary is there for very good reasons, and that keeps Suga safe. Same reason why she has to wear the collar. I also don't like it. It's an ugly, bloody thing around her neck, but she doesn't really seem to mind it. Otherwise, she would never let me put it on and off again all the time. Um, Yeah, there's no way. If Suga doesn't like something, she's very clear about that. So she doesn't mind putting the collar on. She doesn't mind taking it off. It's all fine. doesn't look pretty. hurts like hell when she hugs me and that thing is on. That's why I take it off when I'm with her. Um, but it helps. It's a big thing for her safety. So there's all these things we do to try and keep Surga as safe as possible and at the same time give her as much of a free lion's life as possible. And I think we've achieved a pretty good balance in my mind. And overall, I can't even begin to tell you after what I've just mentioned, especially in the beginning. It's such a privilege for me to be able to live here. We have a worldwide population density of about 15 people per square kilometer, and I've got 70 square kilometers of land here. That is just me. I'm the only person at the moment that lives permanently on this land, plus then on and off my staff, and hopefully soon a bunch of guests. Yeah, by the way, I haven't even mentioned that. Our camp's open. People can come visit, so book Modisa Wildlife Project if you're keen to actually experience everything here firsthand and learn about the ecosystem while you're in it. It's quite exciting. The camp is now open up. So yeah, you can check everything on our website. But yes, I couldn't feel more privileged. On average in the world, more than a thousand people would live on the space that I have here. And then to the north of us, we have millions of hectares of just open wildlife areas, which are some of the most remote and untouched corners left in Africa and left in the world. And for me to, to be able to live here, such a privilege, you know, even if you just have a tent, but the fact to be in a place like that is a privilege the world does not have that space for everybody It's just not possible no matter what we would want to do and no matter how hard i have to work here i think that's something that i will you know never get tired of appreciating and enjoying and as i said i really know what i have here and i know that it's not something that is normal that is something not something that everybody can have the world doesn't have that space left so yeah for me i'm very proud of you know what we've achieved for Serge, where she isn't live at the moment, and if this is where it remains, we can keep her safe. She grows old and happy here. I, you know, I'm perfectly fine with that. To me, she does not have to get a boyfriend. She doesn't, definitely doesn't need to have cubs. There's no point of that. Although, you know, don't get me wrong. For myself and just the emotional scenario, and for Serge, maybe I would love that to happen. But it just doesn't make sense. I'm just going to have more lions that are actually a bit of a problem here, and then I would have created them intentionally in a way, and that I don't think is right. Serga was unintentional. I helped her, and I'm trying to do the best for her. But there's no reason to to make more lions that are, you know, don't really have a place in Africa. And I believe that Serga's story, no matter how long she's still going to be alive, it's always going to be something that hopefully will be fueling. You know the publicity and the attention we're getting and we can hopefully turn that into something pretty amazing that actually helps the wild spaces because there's so much that can be done but by breeding lines we're definitely not doing anything good in that direction so yeah couldn't be more happy living here having given Serga that life and we've now stopped Serga's level on her territory but there's a very important part of all ecosystem factors here of all territories and that's the scavengers our most efficient one here are vultures and even though they don't have the greatest reputation vultures are very very fascinating animals and they play an enormous ecological role in the ecosystem and the next episode is going to be about vultures and i promise to do my best to uh, bring that one out as soon as possible definitely not going to be a year again until the next one thank you for listening and goodbye Did you enjoy the podcast? Rate the Kalahari Diaries in your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and family about it if you feel like it. And if you want to stay in touch with me, Sergei, and the Mudisa Wildlife Project, feel free to join us on Instagram and TikTok. Just follow the links in the show notes. If you're keen to find out more about the Mudisa Wildlife Project, visit mudisawildlifeproject.com.